Welcome everyone to our featured podcast on thought leadership with Dr. Ray McKinley. Dr. McKinley is an expert on leadership and character development. Let's join the conversation now. Hello, everyone. This is Ray McKinley. Welcome to Ride the Elephant today. Very excited about you joining us. We've had some very interesting discussions in the last few weeks with my son, Brian. You know, Brian, we have been talking a lot about living the examined life. And as part of that process, we have been asking the question the American philosopher Francis Schaeffer asked nearly a century ago, how then shall we live? As we continue to ponder that question, we can find ourselves in many situations just explaining, defending, and justifying the way we think, what we talk about, and what we do. Or we can begin to critically think about those things and ask ourselves, is this how we want to live? One of the hardest things that I think we do as humans is to think critically. It's not simply remembering what you always have done or what you have agreed to do. It is not just thinking about what would please others. Critical thinking is a different kind of thinking, and most of us avoid it. It's easier to go along with what others expect and do what you always have done. What do you think about that, Brian? To not critically think, is that just easier to do than it is to critically think things through? Oh, it's much easier to be told what to do and to just follow a leader. Even though it seems natural for young people in particular to rebel and resist the guidance they're given, ultimately, most people fall back on that. And most people realize in time that they probably prefer to have their hand held or have the path paved before them. It's just easier and most people will follow the path of least resistance. Yeah, so it's more comfortable to not critically think. And even in thinking about critically thinking, if you were to teach me how to critically think, well, I think it'd be easiest if you gave me some clear steps, step one, step two, step three, and spell it all out for me exactly how I should be critically thinking. Because <laughs> That seems uh, yeah, do somewhat... Yeah, critical thinking about, about it for me. Yeah, so, you know, I think that's funny. You know, we talked about this last time we talked about being entitled, the entitled generation, and being enabled by our parents clearing the path before us and making it easy for us. So if parents and teachers, have they cleared the path before us and made it easy for us, so we really didn't even have to critically think things through. So what part has the culture of enabling and culture of entitlement led to this situation of, hey, we just don't need to critically think because we have someone cutting that path before us. We have someone telling us what to do. We just have to go along with the peer group. We just have to go along with what's expected of me. And as long as we've come out of that educational process of that that upbringing, It makes it really difficult for us to expect this generation coming into the workforce today and coming into the situation of being parents and expecting them to critically think. What are your thoughts about the way we've been raised, particularly this generation in the last 10 or 20 years, 
that leads to less critically thinking than we maybe had at one point previous? Well, I think you only have to have a handful of conversations with students of different generations. You know, Americans of all different ages will very likely recall their education as kind of a, almost like a game where the way to do it was to show up and just please your teacher, don't be disruptive. And these are all good things, mind you, in my opinion. Good, moral. It's good to show deference to people who are trying to teach you something. It's good to go with the flow sometimes, as long as there's not anything too egregious taking place. So some of these things are good. But anybody will say, I remember just memorizing what I needed to memorize for next week's test. And then after I passed the test, I forgot everything <laughs> I had memorized. So well, you were education, taught education were... Is, has a huge focus on memory. Like you said, it's not just remembering what you've been taught. Critical thinking is something more. And so I think a lot of our education is based on memorizing the facts, memorizing the history, memorizing the parts of a cell memorizing the biological tree. You know, these things are things that we commit to memory and they require very little extra thinking. And that's just one example of how it's kind of normal to not have as much critical thinking. Well, it sounds like you were talking about being taught what to think instead of being taught how to think, which is much of the problem today in our educational academic situation. In fact, Rob Jenkins of the James G. Martin Center for Academic Renewal reported recently, he stated, quote, as recently as May of 2016, professional service firms, Payscale and Future Workplace reported that 60% of employers believe new college graduates lack critically thinking skills based on their survey of over 76,000 managers and executives. It's interesting that when you listen to that and you see that most academia falls prey to the premise that there's only one answer, there's only one truth, and it's their job to teach it. Many teachers, like you said, Brian, teach the student the right way to process through to a concluding thought or answer. They haven't really taught the student how to critically think when they do that. What they do is they show the students how they, the teacher, has walked through the process, and they should learn how to walk through a process because that's the way the teacher walked through the process. And again, going back to the statement, teachers focus on what to think, not how to think. Um, And this isn't just an issue of our teachers. I think that this is a cultural thing, and parents are doing it too, and maybe managers do it for their employees of just here's what we expect you to think not how we want you to be outside the box we want you in the box thinking this way well you know you mentioned that brian i think it's very true when i was teaching seniors in high school and i found this to be true really as in the younger age groups they really don't want to be asked to critically think So it isn't so much that the teacher doesn't teach critically thinking, 
if you start expecting the student to critically think, they resist. So I was very much right. a critically thinking teacher. I really challenged students with coming up with the answer. And in my belief, there was no wrong answer. You know, and the students would say, well, Dr. McKinley, what's the right answer? And I would basically said, that's up for you to decide. And it just blows their mind that I'm not telling them what the right answer is because they're so programmed to wanting that. You know, they would say things to me, Dr. McKinley, please give me the answer so I can memorize it and regurgitate it back to you on the test so I can get my A. I mean, they were point blank would say that. And when I would say to them, there's no one right answer, they'd go crazy. Because for me, any answer they had, no matter how right, no matter how wrong, was a starting point for critically thinking. And if you help the student process through the wrong answer to something different, they then will come to a conclusion on their own that is something they'll always remember. Because one of the things that students do is they remember it for the test, but then they totally forget about it when they go home by the end of the day. So you know, you're not really being a true educator in my sense of the word when you just teach memory and you just teach the student what you want them to know instead of teaching them how to think. Is there a layer of memory and then a layer of critically thinking? And in a lot of subjects, it seems like there are things you need to know, and you're just suggesting that maybe the critical thinking layer is being left out. Yeah, absolutely. I think we have left that out. I think early on in the educational process, memory is important. And I think yeah. we need that as a starting point. But there comes a point in time when we need to challenge the student to think on their own. You know, on one occasion, I had a co-teacher in the school I was at that went to the administrator and complained about me telling the students that there isn't just one answer. And, of course, that just blew this teacher's mind. He basically disagreed with me, and he went to the administrator to challenge me. So the administrator basically said, well, go talk to Dr. McKinley about it and you know, see if you guys can work it out. So he came to me and he said, some of your students and my students have come to me and said that you told them that there's no one right answer. What do you mean by that, there's no one right answer? And, of course, I would say, well, there isn't. There's your answer, then there's my answer, and there's the answer we don't even know what it is, but we pontificate and think we know. So I would basically challenge that teacher and say, you know, I'm not really educating the student at all if I'm always giving them the right answer, because that isn't always the best answer. So I would present questions that would challenge a student. In fact, I would oftentimes present a hypothetical answer that I knew I didn't even really believe was true anyways, but it sounded feasible. So I would throw it out to the student to see how they would chew on that and how would their response be. And I was so shocked to find that so many of the students just bought into my answer, whatever I said, which wasn't even true, but because it fell off my lips and came out of my mouth, they took it as true. And I did that over and over and over again to try to break the pattern of their thinking to get them to say, hey, maybe this isn't the right answer. Maybe I need to ask a question. Maybe I need to start figuring this thing out myself. So I basically told this teacher, 
when he said, hey, that's what we're here for. We're here to teach the kids the right answer. I say, no, that's what you're here for. I'm not here for that. I'm here to teach the kids how to think, not what to think. And of course, they challenge me and they say, well, what if they always come up with the wrong answer? And I said, well, I believe that when they come up with the wrong answer, as long as we go through a process, especially a collaborative effort amongst their fellow students, where they start talking about it and process through their thinking, they really do come up with the answer that's more closely resembles the right answer, as you would call it. But they were able to figure it out themselves instead of me spoon feeding the answers to them. One of my object lessons that I had in the class, Brian, was I would walk in after a couple months of teaching my class, and I went to the cafeteria, and I got this big serving spoon, and I held the serving spoon in front of the class and said, hey, you just want me to spoon feed the answers. And I wanted them to physically see that what their teachers were doing was spoon feeding the answers instead of teaching them what to think. It was a tough pattern to break because these students just wanted to be told what to think, not how to think. So yes, I think that's very much the situation. And I think there's some steps we can take to mitigate that. But truly, the most important thing that teachers do and parents do is try to get the kids to remember what they told them so they're able to regurgitate it and spit it back. Any thoughts about that, Brian? Well, yeah. And again, there is a broader cultural thing here, too, of just different leaders in the group. They have some answers. And if you want to be in the group, you've got to believe those answers. And they've already figured it out, so they just give it to you. So anywhere you go, this is going to happen. We're talking about in the context kind of of how it starts. It starts in a classroom environment where you're just, okay, memorize that, memorize that pass the test, and in a home environment where your parents are trying to get you to stay in line, believe as they believe, well, this is going to continue. You're going to go out and different cultural forces, whether it's a political party, whether it's the city that you live in, it could be a group that you're involved with, it could be a church group or an activist group, and they are trying to get you to align with their answers. And if you don't critically think that through sometimes, you might catch yourself believing a lie, or maybe not a lie, but entangled in some manipulative thinking or some beliefs that aren't doing you, like we've talked about before. And how important it is for your own individual independence to exercise critical thinking. And furthermore, I think there is a hunger for critical thinking. Because of the absence on which we're speaking, there is a hunger in the school to have more critical thinking in the school, which is something that the workforce is demanding because kids coming out of college allegedly are not having the critical thinking skills that are desired. You also have yes. a movement, for example, of men and women who like to go out and do it yourself, craft and things of that nature, and it's largely because of this missing piece, this desire to do something critically thought, something that you created as opposed to something your boss told you to do. Right. So there's no question that this critical thinking thing is hugely important 
because there is an appetite for it. You know, to your point, I was listening to the radio on the drive-in this morning, and there was a person on there being interviewed who's an author, an educator, very respected man, bestseller. And he was talking about how he made a statement regarding his book that basically the people at Twitter thought was politically incorrect or wasn't sensitive enough to the cultural narrative of the day. So they basically took it down. And of course, that's why he was being interviewed because Twitter took it down and they were asking him about it and how he felt about it. And he says, it's just amazing to me that we cannot write books anymore to stimulate the thinking in individuals because critical thinking is not being taught. So this new generation, these 20 year olds and 30 year olds come into the world and they have this narrative they're wanting to justify. I call it justification versus critically thinking. And they justify it by taking down this great thought leader who's been a great thought leader for 30 or 40 years in writing books. And now he's being taken down by Twitter because some 20-year-old, he said this, I'm paraphrasing it, some 20-year-old or something, you know, who didn't have a lot of experience in life, just decided it didn't fit the narrative that he was told that he should be looking out for. And so it's crazy what we've come to in this situation. The art of critically thinking isn't being taught by educators. And I might call some of those what I would refer to as the elites. Because the elites have stolen the collective social narrative. They are controlling the discourse on college campuses and in the media. The elites don't want people to critically think. They're more interested in telling others what to think. They want people to think the way they think. And when they don't think the way they think, they attack them or they take them off Twitter or they start calling them names, throwing ad hominem attacks at them. What has this come to in our world where anybody who resembles any critical thoughts at all and expresses critically thinking, the whole tenet of critical thinking is it's a starting point for a conversation. It's not necessarily the end in mind. Good critical thinkers are always willing to listen to more and always come to a different conclusion. And in fact, oftentimes do come to different conclusions as time goes on, as more information comes in. But oh no, not today. The elitist, which is penetrating academia, penetrating the media, are standing up and saying, oh no, you can't say that. And this to me is a real, real problem that we allow the select few to know better than we do. And they are doing our thinking for us. And by design, they have not taught the masses how to critically think. We have become the pawns of their scheme. We have failed to recognize this as the elephant in the social room, the elephant in our nation, and really, in fact, the elephant in the world. And the media has become complicit and even championed the elitist cause. Well, that's my soapbox pitch, Brian, based on what you said just a few minutes ago and building off what this gentleman talked about this morning on the news. What's your thought about that? Oh, well, there's a lot to unpackage there in that claim. This is an epistemological issue of how do we know what we know, you know? And while it's possible that there is a movement to dumb people down, I think there 
is a lot of demand for critical thinking. I think that there's no question that critical thinking and independence are linked. So if the claim that you're making is in fact true, then if you're trying to control people, it doesn't serve your end to have those people be independent thinkers who are in the habit of critically thinking. And it's easier to control people and manipulate people who aren't critical thinkers, which is everybody. Everybody prefers the ease of being told what to do. A lot of us do, to a point. And right now we have a culture that's trying to rebalance where you have people who are saying, no, 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 let me have my critically thinking. Or they're saying, hey, I critically thought this out and I think differently and I differ from this person and that person who claim to be authorities. And and then you have authorities who disagree. This really well-educated guy who has 21 years of education and experience is saying the complete opposite of this person with 21 years of education and experience. And that can be very, very frightening. But I choose to embrace that because it's a critical thinking opportunity. And honestly, when I was young, I wanted what I heard on the news to be the truth. I wanted what I heard in my church to be the truth. I wanted what I heard in school and what I heard from my parents. I wanted all those things to be true. And I wanted to get only the truth. In time, I started to realize that the truth is not always what it seems. There's maybe more information that you're missing. could be that people are lying and trying to manipulate you. Different cases of epistemological gain are different. But what I started to realize is maybe one answer, one truth, is not what I want. If there are 95 people in agreement about this one truth and there's five people who disagree, then I like that. I like it because that means that there is someone who's doing some critical thinking about this particular issue. I prefer to hear a debate from two different perspectives. Because if there's a debate to be had, then that means that one side is true and the other may or may not be. Whereas if there's only one truth, then is everybody lying to me? Is everybody trying to deceive me? I think that it's more comforting when there's disagreement. Because if there is unanimity, then is that a brainwashing? In other words, if there's disagreement then that means it's not something that's been brainwashed into us. And I don't like brainwashing. This is kind of going off into different tangents, but I guess the core of what I'm saying is that I believe in the principle of an individual freedom. And in order for individuals to retain that, they have to have independent thinking. Independent thinking is critical thinking. And the freedom to speak it. And... Well, (laughs) yes. Which is a problem today. Yes, it is a problem today. I believe that I want to live in a nation that has 
encoded in their law the right to speak your critical thoughts out loud. Yes, that's the kind of world I want to live in. I would stand with others who would fight for that freedom. I couldn't agree with you more. One of the questions, Brian, that I think you said earlier, and how do we process this critically thinking through? I think there's a model that I like to use, and it's not the perfect model, but it's a model that gets you to start thinking in a different way, and it's called Bloom's Taxonomy. It's actually the pyramid of Bloom's Taxonomy. And his lowest level on this triangle, the base level, is to remember. He said that's the lowest level of thinking. You need to remember what you heard, remember what you saw, remember and report back what you remember. That's typically where the academia starts today, and certainly in the younger age groups. The question is, is it still being taught as seniors in high school and in college? The second level that Bloom talks about is understanding. Now, this is where you actually remember what you were told and you have an understanding about it enough that you can report back your understanding of what you remembered. Then you start getting in the high school levels of education when you start doing that. But in the third level, Bloom talks about applying it. So basically applying what you remember, what you understand, and it's basically taking situations that you heard and start to critically think about it and apply it to situations in life, apply it to your own life. And that's where critical thinking starts. And he says that is hardly being done at all in academia. Today, we're not really applying it to the way we need to. One of the things that I have observed as an owner of a business, and I've heard this from many other owners, is students coming out of college today don't have the ability to apply these things. And that's a missing piece. And then, of course, the fourth level, just to kind of go through it a little more quickly, is to analyze, you know, remember, understand, apply, analyze. And that means doing what you're doing, Brian, analyzing the 5% voice and comparing it to the 90% voice is starting to look at that, or maybe even question the narrative of the day or question the theory that is being proposed and analyze it and see if it fits. That's where critically thinking starts. And then evaluate it. And then at the highest level of critically thinking is to create it. Create the thoughts that come from the previous five levels of Bloom's taxonomy. Again, remember, understand, apply, analyze, evaluate, and create. I think if we as students take personal responsibility for our own education and our own ability to speak freely, I think it's important that we all understand at what level we are at in the critically thinking process in Bloom's taxonomy. Are we at the top of the pyramid or at the bottom of the pyramid? Which one applies to us? And I think it's important that we recognize there's more to thinking than just doing what we've always done. Remember how we've done it before, keep doing it the way we've always done it, to maybe creating a new purpose, new intention, a new place, a new way of thinking to the question, how shall we live? And when we start looking at that, we maybe will create something different than we have had previously. Any thoughts? Yeah, you know, this is huge. I think that 
people will own their own thinking and experience better thinking if they just apply some of these things to your life. So let's say someone teaches you a philosophy. Instead of just pocketing that idea as a conversation piece, apply it to your life. Evaluate it. Say, I'm going to try this philosophy out for a week. I'm going to write down some steps to take to see how, if I implement this philosophy in my life, what it'll be like. It's like if you're a plumber apprentice, and your master is teaching you how to clean out the catch under a sink. He just says, okay, here's the parts of the sink. Here's how the catch works. Okay, make sure that you turn the water off, and then you do this and that, and you take it out and write all that down, and that's that. Well, no master is going to do that to his apprentice. They're going to say, now that I've shown you how to do it, get in here. Get your hands dirty. Do it yourself so you see what it's like to do it. You apply the knowledge. You know, it's like schools are just teaching you the parts of the sink and then testing you on it on paper and then sending you on your merry way. In real life, you've got to go under the sink and actually take the parts apart, clean them out, put them back together. And then, you know, when you're doing that, if you have an idea for how to reinvent the wheel so to speak, or improve plumbing, then that is evaluating the system. And you might start to realize, oh, that is the way that it is. It's because this is a tried and true method, and I'm not going to reinvent the wheel here because this makes sense to me. And that's what applying and evaluating is. And you're saying we just kind of start with the memorization, and then we don't do any of the application and evaluation. And just those simple extra little steps whether it's a knowledge that relates to a skill or whether it's a knowledge that relates to life and philosophy and how should we live, you got to try these things on. Yeah. And that is huge. If you want to be independent in the way that you think, then you've got to try on some different things instead of just doing what you were told. And I just want to add this little tidbit, this little bit of charm, what we're talking about here, because this can get really intense. I mean, I'm talking about how critical thinking leads to freedom, so this can get heavy in a hurry. But I just want to point out, and I want to make this point by asking you a question. So I know in your personal history, you had some critical thinking experiences, and maybe without going into detail, I'm just wondering, did you enjoy that at, at the time? When you were in it, being left out on your own, to figure something out, to critically think it through, did you enjoy it while you were in it? Well, I have to answer that honestly. Yes, I did. You did? I actually, uh, I did. You're a unique individual. Well, I think the reason I did was because at a very young age, my dad gave me situations that he knew that I may fail at. He knew that I might not succeed. And when I didn't succeed, I would go to him and say, Dad, I didn't have success with this. And he would say, go back and figure it out and find a way. So he made me go back and figure it out and find a way. When he said go, go figure it out, how did you feel? Did you like that? Well, I wish he would have came. No, I guess initially I wish he would have helped me figure it out and say, really? 
Well, and honestly, I probably went off crying and said, I can't believe I got to do this by myself. And all, you know, you know, so I probably didn't like it at the time. So when you ask me now, do I like it now? I think it was a gift that he gave me. You know, I can't help but bring something up that happened this weekend. I was in a national conference in Dallas. And their keynote speaker there was a guy by the name of Steven Anderson. Very successful man, thought leader, great educator. Owns a very successful business. Mentors many, many thousands of people through his process. He wrote a book, called it The Bicycle Book. And it was an interesting thing. It answers the question that you're asking, Brian, because now it's been a few years after his dad passed away, and he's been very thoughtful and reflective and looking back at his personal history, at some of those things that happened in his life, that maybe he made decisions back then that he started to go back and reconsider. He remembers those situations that happened back then. He understands them. He knows he behaved a certain way as a result of those experiences. But this book was his effort to go back and analyze those things that happened between his dad and himself, evaluate them, and create this great understanding that he then spoke about at his keynote and then put together in this book about the stories and the benefits he had from his father expecting him to go on a paper route and all the challenges he had on the paper route, what he learned in the experience. You know, one story he told, and I don't want to take his thunder, was when delivering newspapers, he then threw the newspaper up on the porch. Well, one porch was it had a very difficult target to hit, and they had windows on the side. Well, one time he threw the paper through the patio window and broke it. So he went up to the person, and the person said, you know, well, it's okay. I understand. You know, we, we make it more difficult for you by putting those windows there. We understand. We'll take care of it. And he offered to pay for it, but the person said no, not to do it. So he went home, and at the dinner table, he told his dad the story. And his dad said, and are you okay with that, her pain, and you're not? And he said, well, yeah, I kind of thought it got me off the hook. But what did his dad do? His dad said, now go back and make it right. So that challenged the boy to critically think how he was going to make it right. Hmm. And he went back and he called the glass company. He had the glass company come, put a new window on it, and he paid for it himself. See, as an 11-year-old, he was taught a very significant lesson about life. Now, what Steve Anderson did is go back to those kinds of stories over and over again and shared them and how the impact that it had on deciding who he's going to be. And, you know, we talked about this from the beginning. How shall we live? And his dad was challenging him, Steve, how are you going to live? How are you going to remember? So his dad put pressure on him to critically think through the mischief he was involved in and come up with new answers. What I loved about a story, Brian, was how he went back into his personal history and was reflective and remembering it and understanding it, but he looked at it in a different light now. And he said, how those stories that I had between my dad and I all around my bicycle and my paper route taught me so many lessons that I now use today in his life. And he found a way to tell that story and merge in and fit in some great principles and great precepts to live your life by. And I think that's the value of critically thinking. 
you know, it isn't just confronting the social narrative of the time. It's also confronting your own life and looking at your own life and saying, why am I not getting the results I want in my life? Or why am I getting the results I have in my life? And let's go back and look at how I responded to those situations in my life. Was I thinking at the time? Because he obviously was not thinking, he was not critically thinking when he threw the paper through the window. However, he learned a lot about critically thinking by looking back at that mistake that he made. And so I thought it was very interesting that you were having this conversation today. And I hear this author this morning driving in saying something about the absence of critically thinking. And I spent a weekend at a conference in Dallas talking about the bicycle book and the impact of the story between him and his father and how that was so significant in his life. Powerful, powerful message. And I'd highly encourage anybody that's interested to pick that up. It's called The Bicycle Book, Stephen J. Anderson. Any thoughts about that story, Brian? And any closing thoughts? Yeah, that story really helps to illustrate the thought that the critical thinking challenges are the best stuff in life. It's strange. If you talk to your elders, if you talk to people who have more experience than you, they don't tell stories about the stuff in their life that was easy. Nobody goes and recounts stories of when their mother stepped in and helped them out with something or did something for them. The stories that you hear are the story of, hey, I was abandoned. I was basically left out on my own. This was one of the hardest things I ever had to do, and I had to critically think it through. And that's the stuff that people really look back on with the feeling of fulfillment. In almost all of those situations, they probably will confess that they didn't like it at the time. Critical thinking is not easy. It's easier to take the path of least resistance and do what you've been told. To be in a situation where you don't know what to do, you got to figure it out on your own, you have no instruction manual, or to be tested in a way, those are the moments in life where it's not easy. And it can be very frustrating, very daunting, very scary, very painful. And yet, later on, like you're saying, Mr. Anderson looked back on those trying times and smiled on those times because of what it taught him. You look back at a moment of frustration that your dad just said, go do that, and didn't help you. At that and say, wow, that was one of my best moments because it really taught me something. And it really allowed me to prove me to myself. And I'd say that's a universal experience where people, it was not fun at the time, but it ended up being one of my proudest moments because I prevailed. Yes. Yeah. When you talk about being a critical thinker, sometimes that scares people. However, you're suggesting that that's something we should embrace and really look yeah. at. And I agree. And it's profound. It's uplifting. It's esteem building. It's fulfilling. You use that word. And the lessons that come from that, that we can share with others, as Steve has shared his lessons with us this weekend. You know, I, I found it interesting in sharing his lessons over the weekend and in his book. 
it rekindled my lessons. It rekindled the thoughts that I had back when I was given those opportunities to critically think at a high level and feel good about it. So it wasn't just like watching the sideshow, the Steve Anderson dog and pony show. It wasn't that. It was the application that it had in my life that I could extrapolate from his story and experience my own in my own thoughts and in my own thinking. And that's what happened. And that's what our hope is for you, all of you listening in, is what can you extrapolate from these stories and from these situations that helps your own thinking and allows you to think at a higher level and maybe go back and revisit some of those sayings that we need to critically think through and come up with some different conclusions about how then shall we live. Hey, Brian, it's been great. It's time to bring this podcast to a close. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for Ride the Elephant today. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week. Thank you. Dr. Ray McKinley is a speaker, author, and coach. In his new book, Ride the Elephant, The Journey to True Success, Dr. McKinley addresses the crisis in personal leadership and what you can do about it. Thank you for joining us today. Your feedback is important to us, and we'd like to hear from you. Email your comments and questions to ray at raymckinley.com. Join us next week for another informative podcast with Dr. Ray McKinley. Have a great week. 